following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Cycle. But as I think about this Malaysian air crash in Ukraine, I always think back to that other one that just disappeared. And you wonder, where was the pilot going, and did he get to where he wanted to go? And we may never know the answer to that question, but it reminds me of our lives sometimes. And I, being in Vietnam, being here in Thailand, and many countries, you just wonder, where are people going with their life? All the activities and the busyness and all the things that we're doing, where is the destination that we're heading to, and how are we going to get there? So for today, I'm going to talk about us looking toward our destination, which is looking to heaven. And as we look at the road leading to heaven, I always think of the book that I loved when I grew up, and everybody used to read this in the old days, but now very few people read it anymore, which is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And um, that book, the whole purpose is you come to Christ and then you head to the celestial city. And there's one thing after another as you uh, come into your walk with the Lord as you're heading to heaven. My grandmother loved heaven. She's in heaven now. Uh, but I remember all her favorite song was when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And if you don't know that song, uh, that's OK. It's an oldie. But I can ju- I can hear her voice singing that song hundreds of times when I grew up. She was always thinking about Jesus coming back and her going to heaven. She lived a great life here, but she was always focused on heaven. So today, as we talk about heaven, I'm sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint. So you'll have to actually open your Bibles and look at it or listen uh, that's uh, I know a skill. My, some, my kids don't always bring their Bible to church because the stuff's on the screen, but that's OK. We're going to look at a warning sign. We're going to look at a promise and we're going to look at a calling related to heading towards heaven. So first, the warning. Uh, I love the warning signs here in Thailand, like at Airport Plaza. Beware, right? Beware, pedestrian. Uh, now, in some parts of America, I've been in places where you do want to beware pedestrians. Uh, But here in Thailand, I've never seen a scary pedestrian at Airport Plaza. Uh, But yet the sign is there, beware. Uh, Here's another one I found. Now, of course, on the Internet, you don't know if these are real signs or Photoshop signs, so I I apologize if this happens to be a Photoshop one. This one, pay attention while walking. Your Facebook status update can wait. And the funny thing was, on the comments below, which were at least real, people were talking about how they saw this guy run into his pole while he was doing things on Facebook. So I guess it is a problem for some people. And then this one on the door of a shop, win a free ride in a police car. Just shoplift here. <laughs> so warning signs can be helpful, but we're going to look at a very powerful warning sign in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. As we look toward heaven, as we align our life toward heaven, here is a warning for all of us. In 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we are in the world. All of us are here. 
And uh, there's a warning sign for us. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Of course, it doesn't mean the people of the world because that's uh, the people of the world are very dear to the heart of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus heading toward heaven, the people in the world are also very dear to us. So what is he talking about here? In the book of Ecclesiastes describes this very well. And in English, it says vanity of vanities, worthlessness of worthlessness. But actually, in the original, it meant vapor. So vapor uh, and vapors and vapors and vapors. Basically, Solomon goes through the book of Ecclesiastes talking about what it means to try to collect and try to strive after vapor or steam or smoke. And some of the things we see in the book of Ecclesiastes are seeking satisfaction in self-gratification. So I do things for myself. I find things in this world that, I, that, I, that I, I like and that make me comfortable, and I use them for my own ends, for my own good, and then I hope that I find satisfaction there. And I don't know how often I see this as a core value in Thai society. If you've been here as long as I have, self-gratification is a core value here. What can I do to make myself happy? What can I do to make myself uh, feel good? And if I strive after these things, maybe I'll be satisfied. Another thing that we see is striving after vapor. Seeking significance in accomplishments and accumulation. So we try to accomplish things. We try to accumulate things so that we can be a significant person. And significance can be anywhere from being someone high up in a government to just being somebody big in your own neighborhood uh, to being somebody important in your office. I mean, it's a relative thing, but we're trying to find our significance in what we do and what we have. And then also seeking sustenance. In worldly provisions. So we get things from the world and we, we, we want these for ourselves as the food and our drink. And we, we, we need these things because we're hungry and thirsty. So we look for all kinds of ideas and we hope that these things will give us sustenance. So that's kind of a summary of Ecclesiastes. But if you read it in detail, you see that Solomon had everything. He tried everything. He pursued everything that he wanted. And at the end, he said, it's all vapor. So before we get to that point, why don't we stop and look for something else? Some of you are young people, teenagers, like my daughter here next year going back to the States. Some of you may be going back before that. And you're ready to go out and make your mark in the world. You're ready to go out and change the world. And you're going to make the world a better place. But unfortunately, I have bad news for you. It says the world is passing away along with its desires. So you may be able to bring Jesus to the world, to bring the love of Christ to the world, but you are not going to change the world. So that is not our goal. That is not our end target to go and make a change in the world. Our end target is to be citizens of heaven. Now, sometimes we in the church and missionaries, uh, we get caught up in this too. And I was, what I was doing in Vietnam is I was doing some training for pastors, and we were talking about how come disciples are not being multiplied in Vietnam, and I let them tell me, and they had all kinds of interesting ideas. But one thing that we saw there was that there's four things that become idols in our lives as missionaries, as churchgoers, as pastors, that we look for position, we look for recognition, we look for compensation, and we look for convenience. And these things uh, define our ministries. Many times we say we're serving the Lord, we're focused on the kingdom, but actually day to day we're thinking about how much I'm being recognized for my work, uh, whether my compensation is adequate for my ministry or not. These are the things we worry about. These are the things we strive after. Why is that? Because as we walk on the path to heaven, sometimes we get distracted by what's around us and we start to see other things as better than they are. And here's a real article from an English English website. And I'm going to read this because it really hit me about how we can be confused about what is what. 
From a distance, an abandoned quarry at Harper Hill in the English town of Buxton looks like a true paradise. The water is a brilliant turquoise blue that looks like something from the Mediterranean. Locals call it the Blue Lagoon. But looks can be deceiving. In reality, the water in the pool is blue due to chemical pollution, toxic leftovers from its industrial days. There are signs close to the shoreline that warn people of the pool's dangerous contents that include abandoned cars, dead animals, and human waste. And the beach is, a li- is limestone shippings. Despite the warnings, the flooded quarry had become a bizarre holiday destination as young people and even families turn, out, turn up to camp out, swim, and hold all-night drinking parties there because the web pictures show an idyllic stretch of water with a beach. An attractive color, the attractive coloring in the water is caused by the surrounding limestone rocks which leach calcite crystals into the water, turning it turquoise. The calcium oxide in the water turns it alkaline with a pH level of 11.3, only slightly lower than bleach and ammonia. Toxic enough to cause skin and eye irritations, stomach problems, and fungal infections. If you look at this website, you see pictures of three- and four-year-olds in the water playing around. In June 2013, the council poured black dye into the water to lessen its appeal, and so far the plan has worked. Tourists have stopped swimming in it. Local business owner Rachel Thomas told to the BBC, they don't think they're on holiday in the Bahamas anymore. They know they're in Harper Hill. So... It's amazing to me, and these signs that they had on the side were very uh, strong. It said, would you swim in a bathtub of ammonia? Why are you getting in this place? But yet there were people in there because of the allure of the blue water and this whole idea. Well, it's not too bad. Somebody said, well, it's not bad as long as it doesn't go above my neck, Uh, as long as I don't get it in my mouth. But in many ways, we have that in our lives where we see things in the world that are actually poison to us. Things that, are the, that talks about in First John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride and possessions, the pride of life. And we start to see these things as attractive, and we think it's okay if we only get up to our neck as long as we don't put it all the way over ourselves. And so uh, this story reminded me that uh, we, need to, we need to pour a black dye on the things that are really dangerous for ourselves so we can recognize what is dangerous and what is, what is alive. So this warning sign for us on the way to heaven if we're not looking carefully at Jesus and at, this, at, the, at what's before us, we can easily be fooled by the things that are all around us. None of us are wise enough to avoid those things. In fact, Solomon's story in Ecclesiastes is quite tragic because he was supposedly the wisest man who ever lived. He asked for wisdom and received it, and he was so wise. He wrote the book of Proverbs and uh, very deep teachings, and he talked to his son about how to follow God, but he himself and his son did not follow God faithfully with its full heart. And so it's very easy to get pulled away even when we know what is right. So what is the solution? As we see this warning sign, what is it that, we're, what is it that we can do to make sure that we don't get pulled astray and pulled off track? And this is in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26. And this one I'll just read to you. Everybody knows this, I think. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And when I, when I used to read this, I used to think this, this is the burden of following Jesus. Jesus saying, okay, follow me, but I'm going to put this burden on you. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow. You've got to give up the things that are fun, give up the things that are great, that are in this world, and you've got to do something that's hard. But as I've looked at it longer... And I think about this story of that Harper Hill quarry. 
To deny yourself is actually the number one way to love yourself. Because if you're about to drink poison and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, that's a way that you show love to yourself. So as I've been thinking about this again, I've been thinking, when Jesus said deny yourself, when you say no to yourself, say no to your flesh, say no to the things in the world that are pulling you away from him, it's a way for you to love yourself. It's the number one way to love yourself because you're saying no to the things that want to come in and destroy you from the inside out. A lot of times we worry about things that are on the outside that will come in and destroy us. I know when I go back to America, there's a paranoia that all the changes in the laws and changes in the policies are going to destroy the church, going to mess up the church. But actually, we don't have to worry about change from the outside coming to mess up Jesus's church because he's greater than all the things in the world. But what we need to be concerned about is when we let ourselves be drawn and sucked away from from the truth inside of our own hearts. And when we say no to ourselves and we deny ourselves, this is a way for us to actually love ourselves. And so this is a, the path of life. This is a path of joy. Now, we, I said there's three signs on the road. So we have the sign of warning. And the second one is a promise. And this uh, passage, I had picked it out a while ago, but uh, events that's happened in the past couple of weeks has really brought this passage more into my heart. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. So if you want to look this one up with me, we're going to uh, look at a few things in there. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. This is near the end of John's uh, vision of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is a two-sided promise. It's basically telling you where you're heading, uh, depending on which path you're on. But when I look at this, the first part especially, when it talks about the former things have passed away, and I think about our lives, and I think about all the things that we face in our lives, we have crises that come up, and some people here right now may be going through a very difficult crisis in your life, a very difficult time that's caused you to cry and to weep and to mourn and to be anxious and to be worried. Others of us are in a lull. We're feeling pretty good right now. But the fact is we're all going to die. We're all going to see other people die. We're all going to have suffering in our lives because this is the situation of the world that we're in. The curse that came to the world has brought these things. But this promise is that one day the former things will pass away. And at that time, there will be 
new things that come, new things that if we don't remember these things, if we don't focus on them, sometimes we can drown in the difficulties that we face. We can drown in the struggles that we have, and we can think that God's purpose for us is to take away, to alleviate the difficulties we have in this life. And some people even preach that gospel here in Thailand. They'll go to a place and they'll say, if you come to Jesus, he'll take care of all of your problems and make them go away. Unfortunately, people that believe in that gospel are disillusioned and then they turn away from God and often never come back to the true gospel again. It's not a promise because the former things have not yet passed away. But this is something as we look to heaven, we see that there's going to be something. And one of them that I'm very excited about is we're going to have intimacy with God without any obstructions. Now, I don't know about you. I desire to be intimate with God. I desire to seek after him. But there are things in my own life that come up as obstacles that keep me from being close to him. They're, the, they're my own desires, my own sins, my own anxieties, the way I respond to things in the world. And they can come in and they can steal away my affections. They can steal away uh, my focus and my understanding of the glorious intimacy that I can have with God. Sometimes I have it. Sometimes I don't. But when we go to heaven... It says the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, God already dwells with us, but right now we're seeing through glasses that are not clear. We have obstructions in front of us and we only see a glimpse of his glory. But in this time, the promise that we have is that it will be full intimacy with God without any obstructions. There will be nothing that can hinder us from having the full intimacy with God that we were designed to have from the beginning. So this is a great pleasure. And if we compare that to the verse I read a few minutes ago about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, we don't need to deny ourselves in heaven. This, this is something we deny ourselves here on earth while we're still confused and walking around with obstructions in our way. And we have to realize which is the true path, which is the true way. But when we get to heaven, we won't have that anymore. Our whole being will say yes to everything that's of Jesus, and we will have nothing that obstructs us anymore. And also when we follow Jesus, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I follow Jesus, I stumble, I falter, I fall. I don't always hear his voice well. I don't always do what he's told me to do. But when we're there in heaven, when the former things have passed away, that won't happen anymore. We will be in full communion with God so we will know his will and we will be fully living in it at all times. This is something that I look forward to, and I, and I hope that you do also as you look towards heaven that we can have intimacy with God without any obstructions. The second thing that we see is we can have sustenance or satisfaction without anxiety. Now, when my support comes in every month at full level, I don't have any anxiety that month, but on the times when I have extra expenses and less support, I can get anxious. Uh, sometimes I worry about things. Sometimes I'm concerned about what's going to happen in the future. Like what's my daughter going to do when she goes away and goes to America and I'm still here. I worry about these things. These kind of anxieties uh, cause me, instead of being satisfied in Jesus, I'm trying to find other things to fill that. But when we're up with, with God, he says that he in heaven, we will have the water of life and we have it here. But often there we will only have the water of life. There won't be any false water, any poisons, any other things sitting around telling us, drink this, drink that. We'll only have the true water of life to satisfy our souls forever. This is exciting for me. And then the third one is joy without pain. Now, Jesus came to bring us joy now, and we, we are supposed to be living and abiding in the joy of Jesus. But right now, that joy happens through the path of pain. None of us has a life of joy absent from pain. And I know that there are people in this room right now that have a lot of pain in their hearts. 
And I know what that feels like to, to have people that I love that are gone. I know what it feels like to have dreams that I had that now I'm not sure if that's going to happen. There's different kinds of pain that we have. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's because of it's a friend or someone that we love. But here it says there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Now, you can't promise that to anyone in this world. And as a disciple, we have to realize that while we're still here, while we're still here, we still have that. We still have mourning. We still have crying. We still have pain. But we can have joy because true joy comes from the knowledge that Jesus is in our hearts. Jesus is with us. And Jesus is walking with us through that pain that he endured first. Why did Jesus endure pain? He didn't have to. See, we brought it on ourselves by being sinners who perpetuate not only are victims. We're all victims of sin. We're also perpetuators of sin. We take what someone else did and multiply it. We're good at that. We, so we take this and we multiply pain, multiply mourning, mu- multiply sadness, multiply death. And today, if you look at the number of conflicts and wars going on right now, just death. Every second, people are dying somewhere from southern Thailand to the Ukraine to Israel to Syria. Stories we're forgetting are still going on. Central Africa, Nigeria, they're happening everywhere. Death, death, death. And do people deserve that? Well, yes and no. We, it's not the law of karma that because you did something bad, something bad will happen to you. But all of the death in the world does come from the sin that people have brought into the world. And it's the curse that came from that. But one day the curse will be lifted. And when the curse is lifted, we will have joy, but it'll be joy without pain anymore. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. Because as I look for it, I'm 43, almost 44, and I don't know how many more days of pain I'm going to have, but I have, to, I have something to look forward to past that. Whatever day that I get to step out of this and go to the new things, then I no longer will have it. And there's a young lady who now is experiencing that now. No pain, no mourning, no more death for her. So who receives these things that we see here? Who gets to benefit from when the former things have passed away. It says at the end of this passage, it's those who thirst and those who overcome. Those are two key words, those who thirst and those who overcome. So the word thirsting means I, what am I, I, everyone thirsts, but this is talking about thirsting after God, willing to drink the living water. So if we thirst after God, if this is the passion of our life, we not only can be satisfied here through his presence in us, but one day we'll be fully satisfied in heaven and we will thirst no more. This, this is not about who has water, who can bring something to the table in heaven. There's no need for your skills, for my skills, for our abilities, for our experience, for our mission strategies, for anything else. God doesn't need any of those things. What he wants is thirsty people to come and drink from the water. And so if you can do that, then you are, you are ready to receive the new things when the former things pass away. But the second one is that we have to be conquerors. We have to be overcomers. We cannot be people who are defeated by this world, defeated by sin, defeated by our flesh. We have to be ones that really deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, because that is the way that we're an overcomer. So that's difficult if we rely upon ourselves. But we're going to talk in a minute about how we can do that without being a burden on ourselves. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. So that means heaven is our home. So as we look forward to intimacy with God without obstructions, to satisfaction and sustenance in our life without anxiety, to true joy without pain, 
realize that if we are disciples of Jesus, we're already walking on that journey now. But the final door, the final step will take us to this beautiful picture, this promise that if you are, having, uh, if you are in a time of struggle and a time of uh, feeling pain, this promise can sustain us and say, one day, one day this, this path will be over for me. Elizabeth Elliot, she suffered a bit of pain. Her husband, Jim Elliot, and his friends were killed trying to take the gospel to the Alcas. And uh, amazingly, God restored her, and she took the gospel back to the same people that killed her husband and then lived for many years and served the Lord. And this is a quote that she said, The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. Beautiful quote. So sometimes I complain because things don't seem, they don't appear like I want them to be now. And so I think God's will for me is not as good as the plan that I have for me. But Elizabeth Elliot said, but in the end, it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot better. So the question for us is, do we believe this promise that we see here? Or do we live our lives just looking at what's around us and thinking this is all we have? So we have a warning. Do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world because these things will destroy you. And then we have a promise that if we walk with the Lord and we, and we overcome and we remain thirsty for him, there will be a day when the former things pass away. And only the true joy, peace, and love of the Lord will, will be surrounding us at all times. So now we are sitting in the world that we're not supposed to love. We're in, a, in an environment that's trying to pull us away from the one we do love, which is Jesus. And we are not yet able to hold on to grasp to the promise because we're, those of us here are still sitting here. How long you're here, I don't know. Uh, we don't know how long our life is going to be, but for today we're still here. So why are we still here? What is our calling as we walk on the path? So this is our uh, third passage for today that I want you to look at. is Philippians 3, verses 8 to 14. Philippians 3, verses 8 to 14. And the background of this passage is before, before verse 8, Paul made a list of all the things that used to be valuable to him, all the things he used to take pride in, basically the things of the world that used to matter to Paul. It was his family, his background, his experience, his knowledge, his, his everything that made him a big person, an important person in the Jewish society of his day. He listed those things, and he, and he, and he said, these things used to be very, very important to me. I used to strive after them, and they, they were like vapor. They're worthless to me now. Because he said here, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To me, this is a beautiful passage to bridge these two things, the world and heaven. 
And Paul had come out of the world. He was fully immersed in it. He loved the values of the world. He was actually an important person in his society. And he had embraced all that, but then he had found it wanting. He had found it to be not not helpful for him because one day he met Jesus and found something totally new. When he met Jesus, he discovered that what used to be beautiful and illustrious and gorgeous was just some alkaline pool that looked blue when the when the sun when the sky reflected on it. And so and then he's looking toward heaven and he's not there yet. But when he writes this, he has suffered many things and he is ready to go. He has had many experiences with God. He's had a very successful ministry, but he is looking toward heaven. He is ready to go be with Jesus, but he knows that he is not going there yet. And so this passage gives his life's passion, his life's calling, which I think can be an encouragement to us. And if, if we summarize what we see here, there are, to me there are four keys from this passage that, that help us to hold on to our calling while we take notice of the warning and we remember the promise, which is desire things of eternal value. So, so when Paul was looking at the things around him, his perspective had changed. Now he desired things that were of eternal value, and those are the things that came from Jesus Christ. In the parable that we all know very well about the two house builders and they built on the sand and on the rock, uh, today in the world we have many different varieties of sand. If you go to the DK bookstore, Sir Wong bookstore, you see all these philosophies, all these ideas, all these religions, all these different things that are going to make your life stable, happy, and perfect if you just do these things. And so they're peddling different kinds of sand. Um, I, um, my, our home church is in the state of Hawaii. And in Hawaii, there are many colors of sand. So there's regular, there's white sand, there's yellow sand, there's black sand, and there's green sand. But they're all sand. And they, come, they, all, they all have the same basic quality, which is when the water comes in, it can undermine the strength of the sand and it can collapse. Well, today we talk about different kinds of sand. This kind of sand is better than that. But Jesus said, only on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Will your house have eternal value, which is our lives? So desire things of eternal value. And I especially encourage the young people listening today, when you go out into the world and you leave this uh, bubble of Chiang Mai and, and uh, all of the wonderful warm families here and all the, the Christ-like examples that you see, and you're going to go back to some place, some country, some school, where you're going to be totally uh, surrounded by values and things that are opposite from what you've, what you've grown up with. And if we're not careful, we will see value in those things because they're new, they're beautiful, they dazzle, uh, they look nice. But we need to desire things of eternal value. And that's what Paul learned to do here. As we walk along the path to heaven, along the way, each step that we take, let's not collect things to become baggage and burdens that have no value to our lives. But instead, let's hold on to the things that are from the Lord that have eternal value. The second one that Paul talks about is to pursue genuine righteousness. See, before he was pursuing righteousness, but it was righteousness through good works. It was his achievements for God's glory. And we still do that today sometimes. We make a big plan, a strategic plan. I, I, in my job, I have to do strategic planning with people. We make a big plan. We strategize out. We have our one year, five year. And then we say, Lord, please bless my plan. Well, God doesn't ever bless our plans. I just have to say that right away. God only blesses his own plan. So if your plan and my plan is the same as his plan, his blessing is there. But if your plan is different, no matter how glittery and dazzling and wonderful it looks, he's not going to bless it. You may have blessings in the world, good things from the world that come from your plan, but true, uh, genuine righteousness, genuine uh, imitation of Jesus can only come 
through walking with him. So before Paul was seeking righteousness and favor with God through his good works, then he learned that now the only righteousness that matters is the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so I don't know about you, but I struggle with things. Things are come into my life and I struggle to be righteous in some areas. But in this area, Paul said it's through faith in Christ. It's through walking with Jesus. So let's pursue genuine righteousness, not worldly righteousness, where we measure how good we are compared to other people or compared to some standard. And we put down people that we think are less than us and raise ourselves up when we think we're better than others. We're good Christians. If we do that, we can become stellar members of the Christian religious organization. But we cannot be a true disciple because a true disciple knows that there's no righteousness residing in me. It all comes from Jesus, and so I have to receive it from him in faith as I walk with him. So how do I pursue genuine righteousness? Is to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is really the story of the whole Bible, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So where do I look instead of Jesus? Well, I look at myself. I look at others. But if we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, then we, then we can be like Paul and we can know him in different ways. We can know the power of his resurrection in our lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in us. We can also be with Jesus in his sufferings and we can be conformed to him in life and in death. So, but this keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we have to realize how the value of those things, because if we don't see the value in those things, we will instead want the blessings that come from Jesus, the fringe benefits that come from being in the Christian organization, but we will not have the true blessings that come from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And finally, that Jesus adds to this is to do that, we have to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you notice in the Gospels, all the way till the end, the disciples never had the power, never had the power to be like Jesus, never had the power to fulfill his mission, all the way until the end, until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's when things changed for them. And so the same is true for us. We can know everything. I've heard all of Jesus' teachings. But if we don't truly walk in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the love of the Holy Spirit, we cannot tr- be true disciples who bear fruit for his kingdom. So I want to close today by putting all this together through the story of when Jesus walked on the water. So the disciples were in the boat, and uh, Jesus had told them before they crossed the lake that he would meet them on the other side. But when they got in the middle of the lake, they saw the storm that was all around them, but they forgot something. They forgot the promise. The promise was Jesus was going to meet them on the other side. How could Jesus meet them on the other side if they drowned in the middle of the lake? It couldn't happen. But because they were looking around at the storm and looking around at their skill set, looking around at their experiences, they forgot the promise. And many times we forget the promise of God related to our future with him in heaven. And we can almost drown, and sometimes we do drown, in the, in the storm that we're in without remembering what was the promise that Jesus gave us. He will bring us, we will, will become his gorgeous bride that comes into his presence in heaven and the former things will pass away. This is a true promise and we need to hold on to it. The disciples forgot that in the boat but they also forgot uh, the warning because see the warning is about loving the things of the world and i don't the way i take it is when peter peter saw jesus coming and he wanted to get out of the boat uh, we don't know why he wanted to do that maybe he loved jesus or maybe he wanted to show off that he was braver than his friends but what happened was when he got towards jesus instead of looking at jesus focusing on him he started to look around Now, in that case, it was something scary, so he started to drown. But other times, the disciples were looking around at things in the world that were attractive and pleasurable, and they started arguing about who was going to be great in the kingdom, who was going to get all the benefits of the kingdom. 
these are the, the things that were going on in the mind of the disciples because they forgot the warning that the things in the world are not the tr- our true home. And then our calling. When Jesus didn't just calm the storm, but he took them to the other side and he led them through the process of becoming disciples who had more and more and more faith. That was another lesson in their life. That was a test. That wasn't a punishment. That was a test to teach them something new about him. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're going through a test right now. And the purpose of that test is for you to know Jesus more and to embrace your calling more. So as we look to heaven today, as we look towards his glorious presence in the future, remember that the same Jesus that we see in Revelation is living with us now. And the power of his Holy Spirit is in us now. We can have joy now in the pain. We can have righteousness now in the midst of a sinful world. And we can hold on to our calling now in the midst of all these other callings that are trying to pull us elsewhere. What is the focus of your life? Are you heading toward the celestial city every day? Or is this just something that you say, well, when I die, I'll go to heaven. But is it the focus of our life day by day by day? And if it is, then I hope today as we worship The Lord can minister to you because maybe you're in a place where you're going through suffering and pain and the Lord needs to come and minister to your heart today and show you a glimpse of this future that you have with him. Maybe you're in a place right now where you have listened to the voices of the world and you have been allowed yourself to be led astray by by cotton candy and glitter and sparkle that has no value. And maybe today the Lord will bring your heart back to him and say, no, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me because this is a path to true life. Or maybe you've gotten confused about your calling and you've been so busy doing all these different things, but you haven't focused your life on knowing Jesus. You haven't focused this week, this day, on putting Jesus in the, in the forefront of your vision and saying, I want to be like you, Jesus. Maybe other things have become your focus. And so maybe during the worship today, you can just uh, express to the Lord again how valuable he is to you and ask him to keep your eyes fixed upon him so that not only when you get to heaven, but now... You can walk in his glorious power, in his unconditional love, and be free from obstructions that keep us from intimacy with him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your word. We thank you for these wonderful passages that speak to our lives. We thank you that when we come to your word, it's not just to get information, but it's for us to be changed by it. So I pray that you'll speak to each of us. Speak to our hearts and help us to listen to your voice and know what it is you want to do in our hearts this morning. And when we know what that is, that we'll lay everything down and that's an obstruction, that's an obstacle, and we'll hold on tightly to the beauty of the gifts that you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.